it's true. It's true. We could kill him again. <laughs> Who are we going to kill today? Okay. <clears throat> Fools rush in. It's the Limbaugh Podcast Show. With Brian Christine Clay, you know. And guests who drop on by. Oh. Welcome to the Limbaugh, the show where we talk about the Presidential Medal of Freedom, who's won it, who should win it, and who shouldn't. I'll let you guess which category inspired the title of this podcast. I'm Christine Sear. I'm Brian Tuft. And I'm Clay Russell. And this week we've got a great lineup for you. First, we're going to do a profile of a medal winner from the second class, the Johnson era, um, Helen Keller, which Brian is going to take us through. And then we've got Clay has an interview with writer, actor, comedian, probably a couple other things. Riley Cecil Taggart. Multi-hyphenate. Yeah. He's a, he's, he has a multi-hyphenate name, so I feel like he's a multi-hyphenate person. So he's yeah. like a, a quintuple threat? Yeah. An octuple threat? I don't know. Where does it end? I feel threatened. <laughs> we should all be very afraid. Uh, then we're going to round things out with our medals of the week. Who or what, because uh, sometimes it's not a living thing, deserves a medal for their work this week. Um, before we start, we thought um, this is probably going to be a weekly occurrence where we do some corrections and apologies from the previous week. Uh, a few mea culpas. Clay, would you like to go first? Yeah, uh, I just wanted to address uh, something that I'm sure will be uh, widely brought up in the public sphere, uh, that uh, during the E.B. White profile segment, we talked about Mount Vernon uh, and uh, the famous people from Mount Vernon, uh, people like Felicia Rashad and Denzel Washington. I uh, also mentioned in the same profile for the author of Stuart Little, uh, DMX, and yes. uh, he promptly had a heart attack and passed away. Uh, apparently, God needed more angels from Mount Vernon. Uh, I hope that we do not have a Limbaugh curse, uh, but I uh, just wanted to state for the record that we had nothing to do with DMX's death intentionally. And if it was unintentional, we're super sorry. Very sorry to DMX, yes. Rest in peace. Mean <laughs> Meanwhile... I owe an apology to Ron Perlman, the living actor, because he is not the evil mastermind of the Backstreet Boys, etc. That was Lou Perlman. Lou Perlman is evil and he's dead. Ron Perlman is alive and, as far as we know, a perfectly nice guy. Sorry, so, Ron. I Yeah, sorry for selling your good name. I don't know. Brian, is there anything you want to apologize for? No. <laughs> <laughs> he has never done anything wrong ever in his life. I feel life. like this is going to be a running theme with this segment is we're going to always end with Brian like, Brian, anything you want to apologize for? <laughs> no. No. Um, yeah. Well, all right. We'll stick around and we'll be up next with Brian giving us a deep dive on Helen Keller.
So for this week, uh, we had to pick a medal recipient from the Lyndon B. Johnson presidency. Um, as you may remember from last week, Lyndon B. Johnson was actually the person who gave out Kennedy's medals because he had a disastrous trip to Texas. Um, so Lyndon B. Johnson technically gave out the first round of medals and then had his own presidency uh, once he took over the office uh, to kind of give them out. And there was a wide breadth of people that he uh, awarded it to. And there were some that, you know, really stuck out, uh, including Bob Hope and Walt Disney. And there was another name that I feel like is just as legendary and iconic, but one that I know a little less about, and that is Helen Keller. And I have to say, I figured like this would be kind of inspirational, it would be informative, but I was not expecting it to be Kind of like there were a few times where I got emotional reading about her. And I also like Mm -hmm. could not believe that she was like almost a Forrest Gump-esque figure in terms of like how many famous people she knew, how uh, like she continues to be in the news. She met every sitting president. I guess I'm putting the card before the horse here uh, up until Lyndon B. Johnson. Um, President Carter was obsessed with her and uh, gave her her own national holiday, Helen Keller Day, which was her birthday. Um, So I actually uh, was very, very impressed and kind of uh, invested. Um, And obviously, since this is Oscar month, I want to point out that there is a little connection here uh, that I cannot wait to get into. But let's get into uh, Helen Keller, uh, born June 27th, 1880, uh, in Tuscumbia, Alabama. No offense to the people of Alabama. I am not sure uh, how that goes. Um, She was born in her family homestead, which is now a museum, if you ever find yourself in that neck of the woods. A little background, uh, at about 19 months, she gets an illness uh, in only a way that you can get an illness in 1822, where they think that it may be one of five things, but they're not sure, you know, that real old-timey medicine. (laughs) Uh, You know, give her some cocaine and she'll be fine. I've wondered, too, (laughs) like, do you start talking by 19 months, or is that a little bit too soon? I mean, I think you're, like, babbling, but unless you're, uh, you know, Alec Baldwin in The Boss Baby, in which case you are proficient in English. Of course. (laughs) Yeah. So Um, she, and this happened at, like, the time when they were like, oh, one of your humors must be out of balance. Yeah. They were like, like, her Wikipedia page says it's either meningitis, rubella, scarlet fever, and then there's two other ones that are, like, old-timey. It doesn't say Bopsy, but it's like one of those ones where it's like, oh, what is that? And it's like only a disease that circus performers got because it like horribly disfigured you. Like it was not none of it was good. That makes her story all the more remarkable, too, is let's repeat what Brian just said. She was born in 1880 in Alabama. And look at what she achieves. Right. After getting one of five possible illnesses, uh, you know. <laughs> Maybe all five. We don't know. Yeah, could be. <laughs> Possibly, yes. Like a, a Voltron of illness. Um, <laughs> so the whatever uh, malady she comes down with, it leaves her deaf and blind. Uh, she wrote in her autobiography that at this point she felt as though she had lived at sea in a dense fog. 
Um, at some point uh, in the developmental years, she starts to find a way to communicate with the daughter of a uh, family servant, the uh, cook. And she comes up with 60 signs of communication. Uh, and she could tell who was approaching her and who was next to her, uh, predicated on the vibrations of their footsteps. And this progress okay. that she miraculously makes inspires her mother to send her to a doctor in Baltimore. And then it's kind of like a thing where everybody could kind of see that there was some, you know, promise here and that she was a miracle worker and that uh, <gasps> they kind of like it's refer the name her. Of the she, show. She gets sure you don't want to you don't want to sound that air horn, Brian. That <laughs> that could have been a good air horn. Oh, I, I promise there's a good air horn coming. Um, OK, everyone's hometown gets looped in here. It's good. Um, so she uh, she's actually referred by Alexander Graham Bell to the Perkins School for the Deaf. What? And uh, at the Perkins School for the Deaf, she's introduced to Annie Sullivan, uh, who this is like the start of like a 50 year um, relationship where Sullivan, who was originally hired as her governess, eventually becomes her companion. And, what is a governess, um, by the way? I think it's just like old timey for nanny. But like okay. you have to like sing and dance and look like Julie Andrews. Understood. I think maybe it's like like a nan, like a truly deep dive nanny, like basically a professional mom. Okay. I mean, Christine, as someone who grew up in Chappaqua, like, what is the difference between a governess and an au pair? An au pair is um, from a foreign country. I love how she knows this answer. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe a governess teaches you? Like, is that a thing? Because, like, you have to administer lessons and, like, you know, a nanny wouldn't. A nanny just picks you up from school. Uh, If you know the difference between all of these roles, please write in. We're very interested. Yeah. The nanny is texting her servants right now to get the answer. <laughs> How do you identify governess? Or okay, yeah, I think governess actually had an educational component. Um, you know, we're let's just assume we're going to apologize for this next week and move on. I'm already apologizing to people in 1880s Alabama. So yeah, why not? Please don't haunt us this evening. Thank you. (laughs) So at this point, uh, she starts her formal education at the Perkins Institute. Uh, She moves to a school in New York City that uh, does not exist. And if you look at it up on Wikipedia, it says the Wright Humason School in New York City was a school that Helen Keller attended. Full stop. That's the whole Wikipedia page. It only exists to let you know that Helen Keller went there. That's power. Seriously. And then she relocates to Boston, where she uh, attends the Horace Mann School, um, the Cambridge School for young ladies, which sounds very dignified. And then uh, finally, she attends Harvard, where she becomes the first deaf, uh, blind person to earn a bachelor's degree in history. Also, how many women were at Harvard at that point? Probably not many. I mean, I saw the Ruth Bader Ginsburg doc, and there was like seven. (laughs) So, I mean, this was like uh, almost 60 years before that. God damn. I think that what's all the more remarkable uh, with anyone that is visually impaired, uh, especially I was thinking about uh, Governor Patterson, who was the governor of New York, what was it, 10 years ago, something like that. And just Mm -hmm. you forget the amount of memorization that is involved uh, when you're in school and the fact that there's – there are no aids or anything like that when you're visually impaired. You just have to, you know, straight it up remember that York stuff. Head, yeah, literally. Yeah, this incredible amount of knowledge and and the fact that that she was able to do that while both deaf and blind, it's That's incredible. Insane. Yeah. So she has a uh, unwavering determination to communicate as conventionally as possible. 
Uh, she uses the Tadoma method of using fingers to feel the lips and throat of the speaker. She was able to hear people speak uh, through this method. Um, and then she also uh, continued on to read Braille, used fingerspelling to communicate, and even said that if she was in um, like a venue and someone was performing live music, if she was close enough to the uh, the performer and she put her hands on a table, she could feel the vibrations from the music. And it was like as though she was hearing the music through her own way. Oh, wow. Um so this is where it gets exciting. Uh, not that it wasn't exciting when she went to Harvard and became the first deafblind person to get a bachelor's degree. But at this point, after she's done with her education, she and Annie Sullivan moved to Forest Hills. <gasps> Listener, that's where Christine and I live. Uh, so yes. very, very uh, exciting um, moment when I... She, I know she has a mural here. Um, and there's like a plaque where her house was that's now it? a temple. Um, okay, it's yeah. on a street that keeps changing names. It's on, uh, it's now 112th street. Cool. And it All is right. a, uh, it is oh, a Jewish north temple. Of, north of Queens Boulevard. If anyone knows the neighborhood. <laughs> Got to do a field trip. <laughs> yeah, we do. Um, a field trip. She, you, she and Sullivan used the house as the center of their operation for the American Foundation of the Blind. Uh, she, at this point like, in Forest Hills, as one does, she takes a lover. Uh, and, and she defies her family and teachers and attempts to elope with a gentleman that the internet refers to as a finger-spelling socialist, Peter Fagan. <laughs> finger-spelling socialist <laughs> is the best band name I've ever heard. Okay. Finger-spelling socialist. So in 1936, uh, Sullivan uh, passes away. And uh, Helen is with her, holding her hand as she passes. Uh, Helen goes on to have two additional companions, uh, Polly Thompson and Winnie Carbally. And with these companions by her side, she goes on to become a world-famous author and speaker, as well as an advocate for people with disabilities. Um, she worked for a number of causes other than people with disabilities, including uh, being a suffragette, a pacifist, a socialist. She was an early supporter of birth control, and she has been referred to by historians as a president whisperer with her ability to kind of bring attention to people with disabilities, uh, having met with every sitting president from Grover Cleveland to LBJ, who, of course, uh, will go on to give her the medal. Uh, she makes famous friends, uh, Alexander Graham Bell, who she met when she was just a girl, Charlie Chaplin, and Mark Twain um, were also friends. Uh, she goes on to publish 12 books, her autobiography, The Story of My Life in 1903, a book about her day-to-day -day experience of being a deaf-blind person called The World I Live, and uh, traveled to 35 countries to advocate for people with disabilities. Um, unfortunately, in 1961, she suffers a stroke and uh, minimizes her public profile. But then um, she, in 1964, gets a telegram that I actually found online from LBJ uh, telling her that it is the one of the two highest uh, civilian honors in the country and that he'd like her to come and uh, come to Washington and receive the award. And he gives her the date. And uh, if you Google it, if you're interested, uh, it's uh, you actually see the Western Union thing. Um, it's apparently in an archive uh, of a Helen Keller museum. Uh, what I did find out is even though she passes away uh, towards the end of the 60s, um, she kind of has this legacy that kind of weaves her into a whole bunch of uh, topics, including um, some of her memorabilia was on display at the World Trade Center and was lost in 9-11. Uh, so it's just funny how she continues to kind of reverberate through um, 
our, our modern times. Um, and unfortunately, the thing that when you Google her to kind of you know do as I was starting to do my dive into her, the most recent thing that comes up is actually about Clay's hometown of Texas where they have removed her from the educational course that they teach children in elementary school because they don't think she's relevant. Um, but they have added the impeachment of Bill Clinton, uh, which, I mean, <laughs> you can just watch the Ryan Murphy show coming to Hulu or wherever it's going. But apparently Helen Keller, they, they were like, the kids aren't going to be interested. They don't want to know. Doesn't cut it. Right. They yeah. want to hear about a beach in the Oval Office. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. I mean, right. you know, that that's what the kids should be learning about at school. Um, what I thought was interesting, though, is we talked last week a little bit about how the U.S. was late to the game. And, like, we don't have um, gentry or nobility to kind of, like, give out, you know, the um, order of the, uh, you know, American crown. And us being late to this, I was, you know... I, like, the Ellen meme face, I was like, I wonder if Helen Keller has a meme face. Like, you know, was... She on the cover of all the newspapers in 1964 getting her medal. And I can't find any media from that uh, presentation. There is a photo of her that's labeled with her and LBJ, but she has her hands on his face. And again, she met with every president, so I cannot tell. The picture's repeated. I can see it with Kennedy. Um, So I actually can't tell if it is... uh, labeled correctly, but um, in 1952, the French government gave her the Legion of Honor Medal, and you can actually see her speech because one of the, I think she spoke about six or seven languages that she was able to communicate in was French. So she actually gives her acceptance speech in French in 1952. Oh my Um, God. I... Don't know if this is as exciting to you guys, but do you you remember, like, I would say 20 years ago at this point, the the Mint was, like, trying to get, like, people horny for coins. So they made, like, a 50-state coin, and Mm -hmm. every state got a different coin. So the one for Alabama features Helen Keller, and it is the only time in U.S. history that Braille has appeared on currency. Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah. That's awesome. I kind of dug through my change jar to see if I could find one. (laughs) Um, but I cannot. Um, and for my Oscar fans, I teased it out in 1958, before she gets the presidential medal of freedom, Helen Keller becomes an Oscar winner for a documentary called the unconquered, which is now known as Helen Keller in her story. And then just in case that wasn't enough, getting herself an Oscar in 1962, Anne Bancroft and Patty Duke win for portraying her and Annie oh, Sullivan right. in The Miracle Worker. The Miracle Worker. Your move, Spielberg. I mean, <laughs> God, does she make so, you feel lazy or what? Uh, really, I mean, just the determination to right? do what she did. Um, and then just to kind of end it, one of the things that I saw kind of throughout is there were a lot of like really good quotes. Um, but one of the ones that I thought was really great and there's kind of several iterations of it is, um, it doesn't matter that I don't have vision. It doesn't matter that I don't have sight. What would be bad is if I did not have vision. And I was just like, oh my God, like what a woman, what a person. Um, so I definitely... You know, um, no offense to the titular limbo, but I definitely feel that uh, after reading this and getting to know a little bit more about her, that Helen Keller is very, very deserving of the Presidential Medal of Freedom, um, you know, and an Oscar and the uh, French government's medal. But um, 
if I had to, as I was like kind of researching this, I was wondering who would I award a medal to that would be like the Helen Keller of today. And, um, I didn't come up with a person with a disability, but the person who I thought was of was Malala because there's a big event in their childhood that kind of changes the shape of their life. And they have this recovery and this tenacity to kind of like push forward and they kind of bring, there's the education component, there's the uh, public speaking and kind of educating people around the world about their mission. Um, and I just felt that there was kind of a, um, parallel uh, energy that they were running where, you know, obviously it doesn't intersect in any real way, but it just, it really reminded me very much of, of her. Yeah. The only person I can think of that would compare would be like a Stephen Hawking, just having this debilitating Mm -hmm. uh, illness and to still carry on and, and be almost even more productive with the illness. Uh, I know that, you know, he was much, much older when, when he had his, his, uh, disability happened to him but yeah he's the only person i can think that even can compare but even with him i feel like that doesn't compare just the to what helen keller was able to achieve in the situation that she had um on a similar note the person i thought of um in in some spirit if not in magnitude magnitude was greta thunberg Um, so she, you know, is a prominent climate activist. She's now, I think, 18, but she kind of burst onto the scene when she was about 15 years old, you know, protesting the lack of action on climate change. And she, this is self, she's stated, nobody's like armchair diagnosed her on this. She's been diagnosed with Asperger's syndrome, uh, OCD, and something called selective mutism, And she has also experienced um, bouts of major depression. So um, it just made me think of, especially to consider like the public speaking element um, and all that, just her ability to channel her, honestly, her rage about the climate being destroyed. And as she says, you know, robbing her future, um, the, the things that she's dealing with, with her mental health. Um, her ability to kind of push through that and, and make this big splash um, is at least slightly Helen Keller-esque. But yeah, I would agree that even none of these people have quite cleared the same kind of hurdle. I, I just, I can't imagine. I mean, I never, I, what I learned as a kid in New York State um, about her, it was like it didn't seem real. I was like, how yeah. can somebody be... <laughs> In the Blind 1880s. And yeah. And like not only function, but like excel, accomplish things that almost no one has ever accomplished, let alone, again, it makes me feel really lazy. <laughs> yeah. So. I do wonder just because, and who knows how much of this is actually true or uh, some type of example that people keep using just that anyone with a visual or speech uh impairment that other parts of their brain will grow from you know needing to to compensate in other areas i do wonder a if that's true and just b it sure would have been cool to see a brain scan of of helen keller just to see what her memory was like and and yeah other yeah like what parts of your brain were active Mm -hmm. great profile brian I'm a yep. big fan.
Give her another medal. <laughs> Why not? She she deserved an EGOT, I think. There is, do you know about the with distinction uh, qualification? Yes, I do. Should we yeah, do, maybe yes. we should do a segment about that. Ah. Ah. <laughs> okay. We'll we'll save that for a later podcast, and then we'll <laughs> apologize for it the one, the episode after. <laughs> okay, so coming up next, we've got um, Clay's interview with Riley Cecil Taggart. That's right. We're going to Canada, folks. Mm-hmm. When Christine, Brian, and I were uh, figuring out what uh, the show would be, we were going through our, our list of possible guests with uh, with history teachers and political dorks and all that. And uh, at the end of it, Christine paused and said, we, we got to get the guy with the cool name. Riley Cecil Taggart is a writer, director, and actor. You've seen him all over New York and in films such as Something Fun and Hofta. You can check out his latest short film, Check Please, on filmshortage.com. He and I have been in a whole bunch of stuff together. Uh, But what he really wants is for Michigan coach Jim Harbaugh to call him son. (laughs) Riley Cecil Taggart, welcome to the Limbaugh. What an intro. Wow. Thank you. Thank you. I just want to be, I want to be his number one boy, you know? I want a (laughs) pair of those khakis. I want a little Michigan hat. Strong dad energy on that guy. <laughs> Do you know he like, eats a steak like every night for dinner? <laughs> sure, I'm sure he does because he is a walking American map. Is what yeah, he is. Yeah, he's a yeah. Walk, he's a he's a real American man. Thanks for having me. Yeah, just strong, solid dad vibes out of that guy, and not Absolutely. the dad who like wants to be your best friend. Like mm-hmm. that's the guy that like you know he'll lay down the law and you'll yeah. hate him. You finish the and game then just and like he gives one you day. Yeah. Yeah. And then one day he says, like, uh, I think you do okay in life. And you start crying because that's the most you've gotten out of him in years. And where where does he say it? On the porch at <laughs> on night the porch. after he finished his steak. And when yeah. I say his steak, it's because he has his own steak and he everyone has else has steak. another steak. Yeah. That's the Harbaugh way. <laughs> that is the Harbaugh way. That's right. And Harbaugh is actually best pronounced when you have a big hunk of steak. Going down your throat as you say it, so it's a good hard. Oh yeah, and yeah, then yeah. That's you, No, you, that's why. Uh, that's why uh, I love the name the Limbaugh for the show. Uh, not only to just like completely denigrate Rush Limbaugh, but it's also just fun to say. It's fun to say, and honestly, here, I, I should have done this research. Did Rush Limbaugh get a Medal of Honor? Uh huh. That's oh, yeah. My God. The reason why he started this show is after he died, I texted Christine and Brian and said, easily the worst person ever to be awarded the Presidential Medal of Freedom ever. A hundred percent. He is at the so same crazy. rank as Martin Luther King in terms of being honored by the government. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What a he, I mean, talk about someone who smells like he just stinks like old meat. May he rest in hell. <laughs> that's that's why we wanted to do the show is to make sure that people never forget that. Yeah, we we must know that titles are, you know, the the Medal of Freedom is just um, it's just one guy making the decision, and that guy is yeah. sometimes an elected douchebag of the highest <laughs> order. Yes, yes, he is. 
<laughs> All right. Well, uh, you're not an elected douchebag, uh, but do you want to give us give us your pick for the medal? Okay. So my and it is it the is it the medal of honor? Is the is the or is it the medal of freedom? President Taggart gives us his pick for who should get the presidential medal of freedom. Okay. Here's the thing. Right out of the gate, I, I, I was debating between two wonderful human beings. Um, but I realized that obviously there is one choice uh, for me. Um, this is this is a man. This is a man who has um, inspired a generation uh, with his acting. This is a man who has uh, shown the world that it's better to be a groovy dude instead of an uptight douche. This is a man who has solved crimes committed by uh, surfer gangs and a man who has saved the world a thousand times over. I know giving, where this is going. I'm giving my medal to Keanu Reeves. <laughs> it's I gotta give it to Keanu Reeves because here's the thing, guys. That, an eagle just flew through my window <laughs> and squawked its approval at that choice. That's it's amazing. It's the perfect choice, and it seems like you're like okay. You you see Keanu Reeves, you're like okay. What has this guy done for the world? He you know I, I listen to Sanders app and like Pete Seeger did a lot of union work. Pete Seeger does he's done so much. What has Keanu Reeves done? And I don't think it's quantifiable, and that's why he deserves the medal. It is his uh, influence is universal. His uh, you know with the Matrix, he has changed the world. He is so good at empowering other people's dreams. I think Keanu Reeves. Mm-hmm. He's, he, he says yes. And he says, I'll do it. Whatever you want. Whether that's being Johnny Mnemonic, a weird sort of AI mail delivery guy, from what I understand. Um, he was like a data broker, I remember. Yeah, he yeah. was a data broker. And the, his whole thing was like, if they killed him, they would lose the data. So he's like, well, I'm no, I'm no use to you dead. And then he'd be like, well, I don't need to kill you to torture you. And then people would shoot his kneecaps and stuff. <laughs> yeah. I, I just, I always enjoy a film where a guy puts in like a football, like mouth guard before Ooh. anything. That's Absolutely. always a good move. Like when Absolutely. I see the football mouth guard for non-football reasons, that's a good sign the movie's going to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, and I think with, um, with Keanu Reeves and I realize that he is Canadian and is that okay? Can we that is totally okay. Uh, the United States has named several foreign nationals for the Presidential Medal of Freedom. I believe the most recent was uh, when Tony Blair was given it by George W. Bush <laughs> as a sorry, not sorry for backing us in the Iraq War. Oh, my God. <laughs> Fun history with the Medal of Freedom, Riley. I love George Bush just giving a... a uh, so sorry we fucked up the whole world. <laughs> yeah. Metal. Yeah, like a makeup, like a makeup metal. Here, Some people send an edible arrangement, uh, but George W. Bush gives you Hands out presidential medal freedom. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, totally okay that Keanu Reeves is a Canadian. And you know, I think that uh, this is a compliment for, for Canadians out there. I feel like he is kind of the embodiment of Canada. And that he has strong values, but he also isn't uh, going to be an asshole about it. Yes, I think uh, I agree with that. And I think he is he is both a private person, but a public person. Like, he's like a more approachable David Bowie, where I remember when David mm-hmm. Bowie died, everyone was like, I, like, he taught me how to be weird. Like, that was the name mm-hmm. of, like, we all taught, you know, David Bowie, he taught us how to be weird and be ourselves. 
Yes, but I think Keanu also Reeves, went through a lot of different phases, like Keanu did too. Totally, absolutely. And so I think Keanu is a more approachable, like he's the everyman's David Bowie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so I have to ask, what phase of David Bowie is Keanu in right now? Ooh, I honestly think is he pre or post Let's Dance? Like, what is John Wick? Is John Wick the Berlin trilogy of I, David Bowie? I think it might be. Because, okay. Yeah, I think... <laughs> I Wait, I have to look up the Berlin trilogy to make sure I know what I'm talking about. Because, um, wait... That's, uh, that's low, uh, that's heroes, all of that, which is a very dark and forlorn and serious, straightforward trilogy. I love that we just came up with this. This is yes. exciting. Oh, my God. Okay, so Bill and Ted's mm-hmm. would be uh, like Man Who Sold the World, uh, Life on Mars. Uh, Absolutely. Like, and, and, yeah, Bill and Ted is, is that early. He's, he's figuring it out. He's exploring. I think once Speed you get into— is young Americans. At 100%. Nothing is Like more, all about soul. Yeah, all about soul, all then, about enthusiasm. Yeah. So what is what's the Matrix then? I think the Matrix might be Ziggy Stardust. Ooh. I think because that's when he became that's like the Matrix is when Keanu Reeves became Keanu Reeves. Like we loved him in Point Break. We loved him and in Bill Ziggy and Ted. Stardust was in, was when David Bowie became Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Like David Bowie, like Ziggy Stardust, I see the whole thing. Like that is who I who I managed him as. Then and so the Berlin trilogy is John Wick. Mm-hmm. So we still have a Let's Dance era Keanu Reeves ahead of us, which I could totally see happening. Oh, absolutely. Because I think, because Keanu Reeves is also, because I think everyone thinks about like Tom Cruise as the guy who's like doing great in his 50s. Uh-huh. But Tom Cruise is a very but psycho. questionable. Like he's Tom Cruise has done some questionable things. Yeah, to put it Tom right. Cruise. He's he is a, a, a psycho, a bad guy, and I think like a, like a, the spirit of a space person embodying the husk of a human. Like he is not a real human being. <laughs> he's and but more importantly, he wants to die on camera. I am convinced that when Tom Cruise dies, it will be on camera and. He'll have done it on purpose because he doesn't want to die old. I don't think Tom right. Cruise ever wants to be enfeebled. I think when he's 63, is Tom will... Cruise the Van Halen of, of music stars? <laughs> I I think he might be. Of movie stars. Wait, is Van Halen a bad guy? <laughs> May he rest in peace. Uh, he, he had some questionable stuff. Throw, throw up some deuces for Van Halen. And also, I felt like Van Halen, you know, sometimes maybe uh, tried a little bit too hard. Kind of mm-hmm. kind of went for the obvious a few times. Yeah, I can see that 100%. Yeah, but I think because Tom is, is, is known mo- more as like, he looks great for his 50s. Keanu Reeves is 56. He's killing Shane smoking the entire Chain time. Smoking. He 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 dates. He's dating a woman his own age. He is not a weird psycho. He also isn't ripped, which I love. He is he is an approachable body that is like fit, but also like you know he eats some bread. He's eating bread for sure. As long as he could get on his hog and you know go uh, go ride across uh, across America, then he's in the shape he needs to be. In. Yeah, he's he can he can fight. 
400 dudes. I love Keanu Reeves for that reason. Uh, for he also, he, uh, he's the embodiment, or at least the characters that he plays on screen are the embodiment of a selflessness. Yeah, no, I think he's, yeah, he embodies, he embodies putting the needs of the, the whole over the needs of yourself. Totally. Uh, except that one moment in Point Break where he couldn't shoot um, Patrick Swayze because they were too close to friends. Of course. But that's friendship. You know, it's hard to fight that. Yeah. Yeah. I, and I, you know I, what? He didn't, uh, he didn't do like a frustration kill on somebody. He fired those bullets in he, the air. He did. He fired like those he bullets should. right in the air. Innocent. Yeah. He's, uh, I also think he has, I don't think anyone has as many, aside from maybe Bill Murray, but Bill Murray's an asshole, uh, which who we love, but he's an asshole. Um, mm-hmm. But Keanu Reeves, one, there was a story about him getting stranded in, Oh, I don't remember where it was, but he, he was on a it was flight. Like an airport, right? Yeah, he yeah. was on a flight that got grounded somewhere in California, I think, or maybe Colorado. Like a small town, yeah. Yeah, he, it was kind of in the middle of nowhere, and he. It was like a one a terminal type of airport. Totally. It's like, they, it's like yeah. they couldn't just, like, get. They couldn't just get another flight. Like, it was like the, the place was shut down, and Keanu rented a van and drove everyone home. <laughs> He got a van to just drive everyone home. Like, great. He's just like, yeah, okay, we're in an issue. I have fairly limited amount of resources. Who cares? I'll get a fucking passenger van and I'll take all these wonderful people home. That's very nice. Um, One of my favorite Onion headlines is uh, Keanu Reeves accused by a woman of being taken on a nice date. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. He he is just – I I don't think anyone is above, like – any any truth comes out, like obviously we'll reassess. But I mm-hmm. I do think he is one of those people that is genuinely he is like a little socially awkward. He is a private person. I think he's genuinely like if you needed something and you somehow had Keanu Reeves' number, I do think he would help. Like yeah. anything you needed, I do think he would help. And he wouldn't publicize it. No, no, yeah. he would. There, there's a, a a story of my an old coworker of mine, his brother went to see a movie at the Angelica in, in New York. Um, mm-hmm. And it was, a, it was a fairly empty, I think he saw, I think it was Birdman. I think he was, he went to see Birdman. What was that? Like 2013 or something when that was out? 2012. Something like that. Yeah. Um, and uh, it was like a couple, um, uh, this guy and Keanu Reeves. In the theater, and that was it. There was only people Keanu who were there by himself, by himself, just sitting by himself, sort of right in the prime zone. And Keanu Reeves is—he has those big hands of his. Keanu Reeves has a large popcorn and is shoveling it the entire time, housing loudly, housing popcorn this entire time, and loving Birdman, having an experience uh, like as good as any you can have at the at the movies, having a great time. Apparently he's running the grease through his, his hair. He's like shoveling popcorn. He's putting it through his hair. The movie ends and Keanu Reeves stands up and goes, wow, what a movie. <laughs> and he, he scoots, he scoots his little butt four seats over to go sit next to the couple and ask them what they thought about the movie. Cause he was uh. just so excited. <laughs> just, uh. just having a great time at the movies. With 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 strangers, and then he and then he left and had a great day. Just just a wonderful, just a a, a puppy of a man who can kill so many guys. 
the best Keanu Reeves story that I heard is uh, I was hearing an interview with Ali Wong uh, in the lead up to she was doing press on Always Be My Maybe. Mm-hmm. And uh, Keanu Reeves, incredible cameo at the end of that. Absolutely. And uh, they said that he, you know, showed up for a day, was on time, filmed his his stuff and then left. Uh, they didn't want to like approach him about doing like any type of publicity or lead up to the film or anything like that. They were like, Hey, that's awesome that we got him for that day. Uh, and the day of the premiere, they didn't know if he was actually going to show up or not. And he, he showed up and it was very nice and, uh, hadn't seen the movie at all or any type of advanced cuts or anything. And so, uh, Ali Wong was sitting there and Keanu Reeves was sitting behind her and she was nervous the entire time. She was like, what if he doesn't like the film? I don't know, like, what, what happens or anything like that. And so the lights yeah. go down, and she's just completely out of it, just nervous about if he'd like it or not. And then about five minutes in, she just starts hearing, ah! 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 <laughs> <laughs> He's having a time of his life. Yeah, I feel like I feel like watching Keanu Reeves in a movie is good. Watching Keanu Reeves in a movie theater would probably be greater. I I I, I really think so, especially yeah. if he's in that movie <laughs> and loving it. It's right. the funniest. Yeah, <laughs> like I I gotta believe I I just gotta believe that he's never um, not liked a movie. I yeah. just don't know if he has that in him to any negativity right. of like, oh, oh, I, I saw this film and I thought that the, I don't know, the characters weren't very realistic or I think he just goes, he sees a movie and he goes, wow, that's great job. You guys, he, he gets down job. to the essence. Like, does this movie bring me life? And that's it. Yeah. The per- a perfect, a perfect choice. So uh, yeah, I think, um, that's, I think he's an unconventional pick. If if I if I were president and I did that, I think he would be like, "Wait, why?" But I think it would only last for a few minutes, and then be like, "Of course, Keanu Reeves is is one of the treasures of the universe." He's. I mean, Obama gave it to Michael Jordan, and like you know, Michael Jordan yeah. hasn't necessarily done anything heroic, but he does bring a sense of, I guess, not getting too smarmy about it, but he gives a sense of the American spirit. And helped, mm-hmm. you know, spread American values. And I feel like even though the Keanu Reeves is, is a foreign-born national, still kind of embodies some of that as well. Absolutely. And I, Keanu Reeves. I, I, Keanu Reeves. And I will say that I have never had as much fun at the movies as when we went and saw John Wick 2. That is the most fun I have ever had at a movie. It was spectacular. Dear, dear listeners, Clay and I high-fived at least three times and we and, were not sitting next to each other. And also there were like eight people, yeah, sitting between <laughs> us. There was a lot of like climbing on top of like strangers' knees, tie a five. Yeah, yeah. We're great. We're great to be in, in a, a movie. Wonderful day. people to watch a movie with. Uh, yeah. And I think it's the first time in a movie that I was shouting. I was actively yelling. When the pencil came up, I think I was like, where's that pencil going? <laughs> Here it comes. Oh, there he goes. <laughs> you just know the first scene. He's like the Chekhov's gun of that pencil is spectacular. <laughs> yes, it it's is. the perfect. You uh, see that uh, in the fucking pencil. 
what, 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 Chad Stileski, is that the guy who directs it? Like, the camera lands on the pencil, and you just know that that pencil is going to go in a guy's head so fast. <laughs> Done. Spectacular. I think, I think that's a great way to wrap up your, your pick for the medal. All right, now, now on to President Tiger's Limbaugh. Okay, my Limbaugh pick is, is topical, but I've hated this fucker since I became aware of his existence. Um, he is the representative to the uh, uh, House of Congress from Florida's first district. This I is. I know also where this is going. Matt gets this fucking scum. <laughs> that eagle, that was a sad eagle cry, is what that it was. It was very sad. That eagle, I, 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 it's middle talon, came up all the way. Um, this yeah, fucking guy. He, uh, he's a guy that when the allegations, for people don't know, he is under federal investigation for <clears throat> transporting a minor across state lines uh, for sex trafficking because mm-hmm. uh, the government, and this isn't some type of you know political hit piece, this started in the Trump administration under Attorney General Bill Barr. Uh, investigated for having sex with a 17-year-old. And yes. when those allegations came out, I have to admit, I wasn't shocked. Yeah, he, uh, it's not shocking. If you, if you Google a picture of pedophile, he's who should come up. If that's who doesn't come up. <laughs> this fucking guy is everything that is like, to me, he is everything that is like wrong with the country. I think Trump is a symptom, but I think this fucking guy is a cause like, mm-hmm. Trump is awful, 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 awful. Of course, he's the worst. Um, but it's fuckers like this that aren't, like, super powerful, but are just, like, scumbags who got into politics to be famous because they have no other skill. So they just go to the one place that's like, oh, I can just be kind of rich and corrupt and do whatever I want. He, and he didn't necessarily get elected uh, for power to help the people of authority. He got elected to increase his bookings on Fox News. Yes, exactly. He's he's one of those guys uh, who I think he thinks of himself as like a Tony Stark kind of like fucking uh, rich and famous person who has influence and can change the world. I think he thinks of himself as a rock star and not as like a human scumbag. Um, mm-hmm. And I became aware of him. Do you remember like the Nestor, the Nestor thing? Of his, his I don't know what that is. Son. I've heard people talking about that, but yeah. So this is when I first became aware of him, uh, where he has he has a he has a ward um, uh, that he calls his adopted son named Nestor, and I, is Nestor like he's like he's a teenage? I'm looking at the uh, photos here. He looks older than Matt Gates. Yeah, yeah. He he he's he's older, but he. Yeah, so he, Nestor, uh, Gates claims that Nestor, yeah, Nestor lost his mother to breast cancer at 12 years old um, to live with his older sister who gets was dating and then gets adopted him, I think, is, is, is the story. But for some reason, Gates would not call him his son. Like, in, in interviews and stuff, um, he would say his helper. Uh, he would call him... Like, he would call him weird stuff um, instead of just saying, like, my son Nestor is here. Um, he would be like, oh, I was talking to my, son, my help, helper, Nestor, 
and then there was weird stuff that people were saying like oh is this like a is this kind of a a Batman and Robin situation are there sort of um is there some kind of is is there is there gay energy here like what is this guy doing with this boy um and then that blew over I think everyone was like I don't know that's weird he's just racist and doesn't want anyone to see that his son is Hispanic or something not um, white right yeah and then and now um and now this whole thing has come up where it's like why are you involved in young people all the time and what are you doing um and also, did you see on him on Tucker Carlson saying... <laughs> I, I try not to watch any clips of Tucker Carlson, but I did hear that there was, like, a bit of panic in Tucker Carlson's voice <laughs> yeah. when they were like, yeah, you've met these girls. Yeah, yeah Matt, Gates, Matt Gates was like, I, I, I brought her to dinner with you and your wife, and she yeah. wasn't that young. <laughs> like, hey, will you testify on my behalf, bro? Yeah, in this public forum. Can you do me a solid and <laughs> under oath just say that you don't know who Tammy is? Yeah, just say it's fine. And then Tucker Carlson was like, that was the weirdest thing I've ever experienced. Because also, they're all fucking crooks and awful people. Of course, um, right. But I think I think uh, Matt Gates is 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 someone who... It's, it's a Limbaugh pick because like Limbaugh... I mean, he's, he has less influence than Limbaugh, but um, I think... You know, be- he was he was in public life for the wrong reasons. Yes, yes, yeah. in, pub- in public life for the wrong reasons. And is- are you helping or are you hurting? I yeah. don't think that the Mad Gates is helping. No, absolutely not. And he's also not even like famous enough to like be a be like a controversial pick. He's like if he got it, the the American Medal for you. You're like who the fuck is doing these things like this is the most eye roll choice of a guy that I could think of. And he was in the news recently and he's, uh, such a, I mean, if if there's someone I want to watch, get hit by a bus, he's the guy. Oh, all right. That's, you know what? That's an app choice for the Limbaugh. Yeah. (laughs) Also someone who may he rest in hell, but wouldn't mind seeing Keanu Reeves, Matt Gates. Uh, I think out of all the interviews that I've done, uh, those two picks are the farthest away on the spectrum (laughs) from each other. So well done with that, you know, Riley Taggart. Do what I can. Uh, I uh, switching topics. I have a uh, a phobia uh, mm-hmm. against uh, gross undershirts, uh, but I like to address my fears head on. Can we talk about your tank top undershirt in check, please? Because that thing terrified me. Yes. Uh, so that, is that was... all right. This is this is all I want to know. I don't want to know too much. Uh, mm-hmm. But is that actually a undershirt that you own that was that gross, or did you artificially make it that gross? Please tell me that that was artificially <laughs> it made was, to look that gross. It was artificially made to look that gross. Uh, Thank you. Uh, okay, I feel so much it. better. We did we did shove it in dirt and and rub shoe polish on it, and then um, thank you. And it doesn't come across, but I was covered in. Um, it wasn't Vaseline, but there was there was like a saline solution or something. There was some like gross goop that our art director would drip on me before every scene. Um, <laughs> so it was really cool. So it was there are like behind it the took me photos. out of the film. Like looking at that thing, I was just like, just please, uh, editor, like switch the camera anywhere else, but that gross shirt. It was. Uh, it was awful. It was awful to wear, and the the uh, I think we cut it. But at one point, I had like awfully gross like whitey tighties on too, 
um, uh-huh. that were even more disgusting. The, the, only, the only thing that is real is in the proposal scene, um, I was sweating a ton. <laughs> that profusely. Okay. I was sweating a lot because uh, it was that's hot out That's fine that because it looked you know? like a clean shirt. It's when the shirt yeah. is, is gross, that's when I freak out. So, okay. I feel better now. Yeah. Yeah. I, I did have to edit that scene uh, because I was naked. Uh, and I, so I didn't want to put my poor editor, <laughs> Terrence, through that. So, so right. I, so you I, edited it before the footage. <laughs> Got it. I cut out... <laughs> Cut out the, I cut out the full the full frontal aspects. Yeah, because no, we, you we you had didn't want camera. Congressman Gates sharing uh, sharing the footage on uh, on the House floor. Because I know that horny little fuck is going to listen to this <laughs> and be totally trying to find will. anything he can on me, any dirt. <laughs> All right. Well, you can uh, you can see check please on filmshortage.com. Riley Cecil Taggart, thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me, Clay. And also, if I can add. You can listen to Clay and myself in Staggers and Janks, which you can That's find right. where you get your podcasts. That That's Clay right. Music directed. With uh, with uh, previous guest Sandra Randall as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you can get a lot a lot of fun stuff. This has I been very it. fun. Thanks for having me on. Thank you. Talk to you later, man. <laughs> All right. Bye. That was a life-changing interview. I think we can all agree uh, things will never be the same. So time to move on to our medals of the week. So who we thought uh, deserved a medal and who or what we thought deserved a medal for their work this week. Uh, so I'll start. This was late breaking news in terms of uh, recording the podcast, but actor Jaleel White of Family Matters fame, who played Steve Urkel for many years, did he do that? Uh, is what? <laughs> it was an Urkel joke. Did he I'll, do that? I'll recognize that. Oh, I'll, I'll recognize oh what my. you just said, Brian. I'm sorry, I was like in the zone, you know, because I was. I'll recognize to... it, but I'm not going to acknowledge it. <laughs> okay. By the way, you guys, I was in my late twenties when I figured out family matters has a double meaning. Okay, because it's like (laughs) matters of the family, you know, like stuff with the family, Uh but it also like family is important, like family matters. Oh my, I'm just now learning about this. Okay, you're welcome, everybody. All right, great. So family matters. He did do that. Um, And he's now uh, going into the cannabis business or the cannabis as uh, I call it. So he apparently... I've learned a lot about cannabis today, and I'm I'm really proud of me. Um, apparently, there is already a strain of cannabis called the Purple Urkel. Did anyone know this? Is this like a popular strain? I know well, we've all heard favorite. of the pine. It's the only one I do. <laughs> yeah, of course. I know we've all heard of the Pineapple Express because that was a movie. But um, so I guess in it's less like why is he doing this now? Is like why didn't he get on this immediately? But. Um, to be fair, it's, you know, I think it's something that's time has come. Like New York um, has just uh, legalized 
I mean, it's going to take a while for it to all sort of work out, but um, marijuana is legalized in New York. And, and so I think these sort of like cannabis, and I'm um, sorry to clarify, he's not coming up with his own from scratch business. He's, he's um, partnering with a brand called 710 Labs. So they're going to have obviously a line of purple Urkel, but they're also making one called the Stefan, which is going to be a blend of purple Urkel and a different strain called the white because his last name is white. And then they're going to put it together and it's going to be called Stefan, which for those of you who are huge fans of the show, like I was um, in the later seasons, I think he got really tired of playing Urkel. And so they had this thing where it was like a machine where he came out and he was like cool and hot and he got to be his like normal self. And he went by the name Stefan. Um and so, I don't know. I just think it's great. And then, like, the logo, um, you guys should definitely Google it. It's basically, um, it's purple, obviously, and it's Urkel with, like, a stoner face. And then his hair sort of morphs into, like, pot smoke. It's just, it's fun, you know? Um, I, I like that he's sort of, I mean, I think a lot of, of child stars and, and people who had this sort of, like, one-note uh, potentially one note role where it was like the neighbor, did I do that? All that kind of stuff. Um, I think they, t- a lot of them tend to have like complicated relationships with that and with their fame and, and with, um, sort of always being remembered for this one thing. So it's kind of nice to see that he's having fun with it. And I can only imagine is going to make a ton of money <laughs> off of it. So good for you, Julia White. Nineties nostalgia, baby. Yeah. And when it, uh, when it makes its way to New York, you know, I would, I'll definitely support you however I can. I feel like he was one of the people who leaned into his, like, one role. Like, I remember seeing him in, like, other movies, and people would be mm-hmm. like, aren't you Urkel? How are you, why are you here? And he'd be like, I'm here because I got Urkel money. Like, it was always a thing where, like, he he never, like, shied away from it or, like, was one of those people, like, um, I'm not going to name names, but, like, you know, who's like, ah, oh, I don't want to talk about the past. That's the old work. Like, I feel like he was one of those people who was like, nope. He's like, that made me famous. It paid me very well. Syndication <laughs> rights are the best. I, what I don't understand is, like, Peacock seems to be reviving everything. No offense if you work at Peacock. No offense to the fine people at Peacock. If Peacock wants to give us a series, we are interested. Ah, we good. will take the meeting. Brian will have something to apologize next episode. But <laughs> I will say that... Like, I don't understand, like, Family Matters is right there. Like, just, I feel like, you know, most of the main cast is alive. You could finally explain what happened to that daughter who, like, went up to her room and never came down. Like, Mm -hmm. all of the pieces are there. Somebody make this happen. (laughs) All right, mine, uh, sticking with uh, Christine in the last episode, uh, nominated an inanimate object uh, for the Medal of the Week. Uh, I decided to go with a living thing, but it's not human. Uh, mine is kind of a representation of, uh, how I think many people are feeling as they start to, uh, come back into society, uh, after being cooped up in their homes for, for, uh, over a year. And mine is the, uh, lizard that walked into a Thailand Seven <laughs> Eleven. Uh, if you guys haven't seen this yet. Uh, that's basically how I look when I walk into a Dwayne Reed. Like I'm just lost. Uh, I can attest to that. 
Yeah, and I just like I'm I'm knocking things over on the you shelf. Seek a high space to feel safe. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, and like <laughs> let's face it, I've seen Godzilla versus King Kong. Like I know that things can go very wrong when lizards enter the public. And I love this guy because like people were terrified of him when he first walked into the 7-Eleven. Oh uh, he climbed up the shelf and just like went right next to the ice machine and took a nap. <laughs> And like this, he this knew what he wanted, you know? 7-Eleven Taiwanese lizard uh, wins my medal of the week. I can't believe Honestly. people were scared of him. I've seen way scarier things in a 7-Eleven at three o'clock <laughs> in the morning, particularly yeah. the, that one next to the Bowery Hotel. Like this guy, I, I would be fine. He would not interrupt my slushy and nacho procurement. <laughs> right. So there's like screaming. If you, Clay was nice <laughs> enough to show us the video muted, but like. People are screaming. Yeah. And I'm like, I think he just want, yeah. Like he just, he wanted, he wanted to take a nap. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's the most relatable thing about it. Mm hmm. But yeah. And who, it, you who know, doesn't feel at home at a 7 Eleven? I mean, it's so comforting. You just watch those hot dogs roll on the thing <laughs> with the taquitos. It's very uh, hypnotic. The best. It's the best. I have to say, like on a road trip or whatever, their coffee, like their coffee is actually not bad. That's, I feel like that's the thing about American chain stores is the places that you don't suspect to have good coffee has good coffee. Uh, my big one is McDonald's. Had no okay, idea how good their coffee is. Talking about that with Brian and he disagrees. He likes Dunkin' Donuts better. No, Dunkin' Donuts is fine. I'm just saying that like Dunkin' Donuts, they're a coffee shop. They should have good coffee. McDonald's has basically walking diabetes. I wouldn't suspect them to have good coffee, but they do. So credit to McDonald's. Yes, that the, the multinational company Ronald McDonald is, is so it needs our praise right now. <laughs> they really do. Yeah, <laughs> from I mean, a bone. From a yeah, bone. McDonald's. I know you're struggling. If you need someone to advertise for you, we're here. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> McDonald's.com backslash Limbaugh. Um, wait, do we know what happened to the lizard? Like, did they just like gently release him back into the? the forest or what happened? uh they called uh thailand animal control and they were able to capture it at least that's what they are saying in the news so now he just now he just has like stories to tell his little lizard friends mm-hmm. okay yeah good for him so my pick for my medal of the week is a person almost as powerful as the multinational soulless company McDonald's, but uh, hopefully is wielding their power for better, more uh, healthy uh, ways. Um, that would be Taylor Swift. Um, oh, my God. While second, it is, second episode in a row that he's mentioned Taylor Swift. <laughs> while it is possible to Swifty. give it to her for any reason, um, for those of you who may have been living under a rock, or have her blocked on Twitter. Uh, she released uh, her, or re-released her uh, kind of like breakthrough album, Fearless, on Friday. Um, I could probably do an entire podcast about the logistics behind it, but apparently um, she wrote her music. She sold it to the record label. The masters are not hers. She now is legally able to re-record the music, and so she set upon this journey. And while I definitely believe that it started off as a power play and was definitely motivated by money, as most things in the world tend to be, um, I think at some point along the way, she just really started to have fun with this project. And I think that as somebody who 
would much rather listen to the original recording of, you know, a song from the 60s or 70s, no matter how I have to procure it, like even buying a, a CD or a record uh, to get the other, to not have to listen to the re-record. I was nervous that the music was going to sound different or wasn't going to sound as organic. And I think this is the first time that I have heard a re-record and it actually feels just as organic and powerful as it did when you heard it 13 of course taylor swift re-released the album 13 years to the day um but it's also a thing where like her understanding of music over that time has gotten better that i with a very few exceptions i feel like it's improved and i think that um on top of like giving her fans tons and tons of entertainment i know i've been listening to it almost nonstop. i think she's also kind of redefining power and artist label relationships right now and i think that it's going to be very interesting to see how this kind of reverberates and while i was kind of expecting them to realize like okay well if for every 30 for every one spin that the original fearless receives the new fearless taylor's version receives 30 spins so i think they've kind Hmm. of seen their investment really take a big hit and i figured they would meet her at the table and she would say okay, well, I'm done with this project. Now I'm now on my master's. Thank you guys so much. Enjoy Taylor's version of Fearless. But according to um, the Swifties, which is the left-wing version of QAnon, uh, there are <laughs> clues in all of the lyric videos, and 1989 is coming, according to these people on the internet. So Brian, what is I'm, the conspiracy that, that Swifties believe in? Um, that uh, Jake Gyllenhaal really did Taylor dirty, and that there's a 10-minute version of All Too Well out there somewhere. <laughs> But uh, yeah, uh, I really like to me, I think that this project kind of started off in a very like, you know, it was about Taylor. It was about money. It was about power. It was about a fight with Scooter Braun. And I think uh, what she's actually done and the success to which she's done it is really going to kind of change the way that people approach uh, deals with record labels and, uh, you know, kind of the owning of art that is created by, you know, these talented musicians. I have a question to the resident Taylor expert on the pod. Um, isn't it true that as she sort of pivoted more to pop music, she didn't play her country songs as much? So isn't it sort of interesting that she's now like f- putting on the front burner some of her like earlier twangier stuff? Um, so as somebody who's seen her in concert a few times, I can tell you she's somebody who tours the record. So she'll usually play whatever she's just released pretty much front to back. And then she'll give you a few kind of off uh, hits. And then the last time I saw her, there was like, let's just say it was the 10th song in the show. Every night it was a different song so that she was giving you a deep cut from like one of the various eras. But I do think that um, this is definitely like her kind of leaning back into um, her country music. Um, and her roots. I'm interested to see how on earth she's going to tour now with three albums out in the last two years. Insane. Um, Insane. But it does, at least to, to me, uh, it seems like it, it organically makes sense. So because she was going back to live instrumentation with folklore, uh, and I feel like it kind of makes sense with, with this, uh, campaign that she has going on. How different is the new version from the old version, Brian? Is it radically different, or do you feel like it's similar but just improved in terms of the sound quality? If you listen to the two of them back-to-back, there's, like, little things where you can tell that, like, certain instruments are deeper in the mix and some are, um, you know, 
like someone uh, the New York Times was like, oh, the organ is missing on this. And it's not. If you listen to it with headphones, you can hear that the organ is there. It's just lower. Um, but what's more kind of like the thing that I noticed, like obviously that was pointed out to me. It was something that I kind of picked up on after it being brought to my attention. But if you listen to it, like she's just so much more confident in her voice that there are certain songs that um, like there's a song called You're Not Sorry. And the, her voice sounds like tinny on the first one like it sounds very juvenile and i wondered like okay well whoever she was mad at that wasn't sorry um she's not mad about that anymore it's been years and somehow she sounds like angrier and like more you know possessed by what the song is about and i to me that would the uh the idea that now she knows more about her voice and knows how to use it i think really kind of brings a new level of power to the uh, to the songs and to the endeavor. Absolutely. She has 15 years of experience in the recording studio, so she knows how to use her, her voice more than she did back then. So, yeah, I'm interested. Definitely going to listen to the record. Okay. I think the name of this episode should be the Limbaugh Taylor's version. <laughs> <laughs> it should. Done. Perhaps it will. Yeah. Um, I don't know, guys. Is that it? That's it. I like how- it. Time flies when you're podcasting, I have to yeah. say. When you're when your mics are working. I know. <laughs> <laughs> when yeah, pretty much. Um turns out it was just a Bluetooth syncing issue, you guys. I'm just yeah. it's never gonna happen again. All right, well, you know, here's number two in the books. And uh you know, we joked last week maybe there wouldn't be a second one, and here we are. Here so we are. Take- yeah, we are uh I haven't told you guys yet, but we're on Stitcher. We're on uh we're all over the place now besides Apple Podcasts. So yeah. Find us wherever you find your podcast, guys. Mm-hmm. And please leave a five star review so that it helps with visibility in the mm. podcast. Smash source. that subscribe button. <laughs> Unless you found this podcast by accident because you searched Rush Limbaugh and you thought that it was a podcast about Rush Limbaugh or featuring Rush Limbaugh in which oh, we're case so you know, sorry. Review. just move go ahead we support That's why you. I'm really <laughs> thinking we should get as many five stars as possible because we're about <laughs> ready to get a raft of hate All right, guys, guys this is great we'll until see you next, next time. time yeah bye bye, bye.